Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 33. Today, John and I are catching up on our whitetail work, new tactics we're planning to try out this year, and our 2018 goals. You'll also find out which one of us used to have a pretty sweet perm mullet, so stay tuned. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell. Today, John and I are going to be catching up on some deer-related talk that we haven't had a chance to do in a while. Um, But before we dive into that, let's go ahead and take care of the business end of this thing. Uh, We are brought to you by our partners at Whitetail Institute of North America. You know them. You love them. You should use them. Um, Planting season is here uh, upon us and just about over. I think most of their products, you can probably get away with planting up to about September 15th-ish. Uh, our plots, our final fall plots just got into the ground and I'm using the Pure Attraction Plus Tall Tine Tubers and Clover this year. Um, looking forward to hunting over all of those. If you're not sure about what your planning dates are, you can head over to whitetailinstitute.com and check out their product selector tool and it will guide you to the right forage for your forage needs and has all the details you would need to be successful. If you're in the southern region, uh, you probably have a little bit more of an extended planting date. Secondarily, uh, but not last but not least, is our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Uh, you also know them and love them. If you haven't picked up the new Lift 2 camera, I highly recommend that you do so. Those cameras are awesome. The video is awesome. The guarantee is awesome. The guys are awesome. So just do yourself a favor and head over, head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com and pick yourself up uh, pick yourself up a Lift 2. 
camera. Uh, if you hop over there now and you use the Truth from the Stand promo code, uh, that is Truth, when you get to checkout, you'll receive $20 off your purchase. And now without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the deer talk. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and always I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Johnny Utah Mulligan. And today, unfortunately, just have the two of us. No grand guest. Um, so hopefully everyone didn't shut off their, their podcast since it's just me and John rapping today. But John and I, I don't think we've had a chance to do... Um, do do just a one-on-one uh, actual actual podcast since the first time you came on as a guest. Uh, so today's show is really going to be about John and I's approach to this season, uh, things we're doing to get ready, hunts that we have coming up, and you know tactics and goals for this year. Maybe a quick camera update and talk about you know anything that we might have learned from the past. So this one's just really going to be a catch-up session with John and I. Uh, season's about to get really hectic as you know both of us are kind of ramping up to get ready for some out-of-state hunts and so I thought it'd be a good time to catch up before we get going but before we start all that how you doing brother I'm doing good man I'm doing uh I'm stressed yeah actually I totally just <laughs> lied to you and everybody I'm stressed man it's um I'm 33 hours out from leaving um to go on the first hunt of the year and you know, it's not just um, climbing up in a tree stand. You know, it's twelve yeah. and a half hours away and living out of a tent. You know. Yeah, I hear that. We were talking just offline before we started recording, just kind of lamenting our our situations with you know hunting season and you know fast approaching. We're both headed west. Um, you know, you're you're leaving like you said, just a handful of hours here. You know, when folks listen to this, you'll actually be just getting back i think from your hunt and i'll be in the midst of 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 my hunt in the in the middle of it um yeah, you know yeah so so give me paint paint me a visual a mental picture if you will let's do a little a little um a little theater of the mind and and tell me what does the, what does one johnny utah's home look like now as a as a prep station for his hunt um if somebody came into my house today they would, their first assumption would be that I am organizing, um, a big care package to send down to Texas, uh, to aid in the relief, uh, funds down there. Right. That's what it looks like right now. Yeah. And mine looks that way for the purpose of, of moving. I am also in the state of disarray with, I tried to yeah. start packing a little bit last night for my Montana trip, man. And I'm still living out of boxes, you know, just moved, finished the move this weekend, I've got boxes everywhere. I made a little makeshift area, you know, in my basement to to record this podcast. And actually, this is a big, uh, it's actually a monumental event. Uh, this is the first podcast record at the bar in my basement because I have a full bar in my basement. Oh, now. there you go. Yeah. So it's kind of uh, fitting, I guess. It's, uh, it's very 70s. Um, it's very, how, how should I say, speakeasy-like. Um Sure. And, the, and their shuffleboard, you know, so, you know, can't go wrong with shuffleboard. No, shag carpet, shuffleboard, you know, it all works. Right. Yeah. There's like a, there's a hookah lounge upstairs. There's some beanbag chairs. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> Are you wearing a velour suit right now? <laughs> I'm totally wearing a velour suit, dude. If I owned a, a velour suit, I would rock that thing. I would actually, I would like my a camo dad, one. He always tells this story back when uh, him and my mom first started dating. He's like, yeah, we used to go to this club. It was called like the 2001 club. And 
he's like, you know, I used to walk up in there and he's like, I had the heels, you know, on my, on my patent leather shoes and, uh, they had goldfish in the heels. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm like, dad, my dad was like, he was like straight up pimp, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude. Goldfish in your shoes, man. It's like that. Dude, that one ups alligator shoes, in my opinion, dude. Goldfish, just get out of here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My best, yep. uh, my best, uh, my best get up was at one point, and this wasn't even, you know, all that long ago, which makes it maybe funny or sad, depending. Um, <laughs> I, I had a three piece, like, suit, I guess you could call it, because it wasn't, it wasn't a tux. It was a jacket with a vest and pants that was made out of. Right. That was made out of like navy, like blue corduroy. Like just just oh. let the yeah, just let that sink in for a second. Navy blue yeah. Canadian tuxedo corduroy suit. Man. Yeah. Get you some of that. I wore it one time Dude. and my wife made me throw it out. Hey, like Macklemore, like I think he talked about that in that song. That's the kind of suit that Macklemore would uh, would go thrift shop. Uh, you know, that'd be a find right there. Yeah, it was a buddy of mine. I was working at this bar, and he came in, and um, he had outgrown it, let's say. And uh, he was like, dude, he's like, I got this awesome suit you might want. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, he's like, I'll bring it in tomorrow. And he brings it in. He's like, I don't know if you want it. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, this is amazing. So, of course, I wore <laughs> And so, do I want it? Yeah, I was like, I'm wearing that out next time I go to the bar. Yeah, and I did. I put that thing on the next day, went out and strutted my stuff in that thing, dude. So many people. I mean, some people laughed. Some people were like, "Dude, you got you got a set if you're gonna rock a three piece corduroy navy blue suit. Like that's pretty. Like you're pretty pretty uh pretty confident wearing one of those." And I just thought I was the stuff, dude. And then my wife was like, "You look like an idiot. I'm throwing that out as soon as you take it off." And that was the last I saw of it. See. They're always they're always cramping our style, man. You know they just don't get it. That's what I'm saying, man. If it weren't for her, I'd probably have a whole closet full of corduroy. You hear me coming a mile away too. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> I definitely wasn't sneaking up on anybody. That's for sure. You know, it's a uh, no. It was a it was a it was a poor uh, stealth suit, if you will. Uh, that's the that see and that's just it though with with if you're rocking blue corduroy you need to make sound that way people see you coming a mile away oh yeah you, you get ready to take yeah, it you're all not, in you know yeah you're not trying to hide it you're you're kind of like hey no, look at look no. at me you know what i mean it's like you might as well just yeah. roll roll some neon signs the only thing i was lacking was like a boom box <laughs> with like some bg's playing yeah. staying alive on my shoulder oh yeah. you know what i mean that's the only way that's i right. can make it cooler it would have been the only way yep it would have been no something yeah, it would have been straight out of like some 1970s gangster movie from, you know, whatever, like the Bronx or something like that, a Bronx tale or whatever. I don't know what the what a movie would be called, but it would be one yeah. of those types of movies. Well, I, I get I get the opposite from my wife because she's like, seriously, like you look like a refugee, like you dress <laughs> like a hobo right now. Like what's what's going on? Exactly. And I'm like, what? And she's like, did you even do you even look at what you put on like to notice, like, does it match? Does it not match? Is it in season? Right. Uh, I'm like, what are you in season? I didn't know what there were seasons about like yeah. their clothes. I didn't know that there's a season to this stuff. If I'm hot, I wear short sleeves. If I'm cold, I wear hoodies. Like, right. It's as far as it goes for me. I don't care. Colors don't matter to me. I just 
I rock whatever I put on. I don't care, you know? Yeah, mine's usually whatever was laying on the floor that I wore the day before, as long as it is relatively clean, it's going on. Sure. Like, that's just, that's that's basically, yep. and to your point, it's like there are no seasons. There's hot season and there's cold season, and that's pretty that's much right. it. And a lot of days, yep. you know, one would be lucky that I wore pants, you know, especially now, all my stuff's in boxes. Someone made, like, said something to me at work the other day. I walked in because it looked like, I mean, my shirt was all wrinkled and whatever. And they were like, man, uh-huh. you look pretty, you look like a disaster. I'm like, dude, I moved all weekend. I was yeah. like, all my, all my clothes are in boxes. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, you're lucky I wore pants today. I was like, so <laughs> it's like, if I wouldn't have found pants, I was either not coming to work or I was coming pantless. Like, those are the two sure. options. So you got option B, which is probably the better option and also the one that keeps me gainfully employed at the same time. So that was also probably a good move on my part. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, I'm sure people aren't tuning in necessarily to listen to us talk about our corduroy suits, our hobo lifestyle and fashion um, statements yeah, yeah. N- n- to wear or to not wear pants on a given day. Um, like I mentioned at the top, we're going to talk a little bit of deer hunting, you know, you know, I don't, we've not done this yet. We've not had just a Clint and John podcast since you came on full time on the show. Did we, I think we've had a guest nope. for every one of them. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, as a guest, but you and I have never really had like a mashup. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. So I think today what we want to do yeah. is, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of preparation, what we learned from last season, just in how the, the, this season is coming up and what we plan to try to get accomplished or achieve. And, um, you know, when uh-huh. we look back at the end of the year, what, you know, what will make us feel good. So first I think, you know, let's start with this. If, if you don't mind, are you cool with starting with preparation? Yeah. All right. So, uh, so I know you and I talk a little bit about this offline sometimes. So preparation, there's two different components of that. You know, I think, especially whenever you're talking about doing Western hunts, um, and then even when you're doing white tail hunts for those grinding, grinding sets. So first I'll ask you, what are you doing, especially when, since you're getting ready to go out West and what do you typically do to get ready for a white tail season? Like what's your physical prep kind of look like? Do you, do you have a plan that you kind of follow or is there, you know, anything specific that you're doing? Yeah. So, um, like a lot of guys, you know, I run a lot of cameras over, whether it's a feed area, um, maybe a soybean uh, plot, or I might have some cameras on mineral or something like that. But um, I haven't done any fresh mineral in almost a month now. So now's the time that, you know, I start transitioning. I start pulling those cameras off of the mineral sites because, you know, they're not going to be hitting those anymore. Right. And um, I start moving those cameras to uh, mock scrape, field edges, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or just, um, you know, those religious, religious places where I've seen buck sign old rubs in the past. Um, there's a couple of trees that I've got on my property that, you know, it's a rub on top of a rub on top of a rub and it keeps right. healing up from year to year to year. And it's just a rub tree, you know, it's right. just a notorious rub tree. So, um, I'll start moving cameras over there. Um, one of the things that, I do my absolute very best on when it comes to trail cameras. As we get closer to the season, I try not to check those cameras very right. much at all, if, if at all, um, that lasts like three, four weeks um, before the season starts. Um, you know, you do all this work up into the season, and who wants to, you know, shoot yourself in the foot right before the season comes in, you know? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, for me, you know, it's I, I follow a lot of the same philosophies that you just kind of mentioned, you know, early in the year. Well, I can't use mineral at this point uh, on my farms in PA just because of the um, CWD that's in the area and stuff. In the past, I have whenever uh-huh. I was able to. Um, so I usually just try to put them on f- uh, food sources. You know, we've got uh, alfalfa field and then a, a clover a clover plot also on the one on the one farm. The other uh, property, my dad's property, of course, you know, I've talked about the water hole a little bit. I have uh, a camera hanging over that. There's a couple apple trees and uh, I believe there's a pear tree also. So I've kind of targeted those two just to see if there's anything hitting those. There's a lot of fence line on that property too. So, you know, I know this would be more of a shift, you know, if you, if you will, as we're kind of in that phase now of the, the shift phase of shifting your cameras, like you mentioned. And most people will probably start to transition from those, excuse me, those places that I just mentioned to like fence lines and stuff like that. Well, fence line on my dad's property is like, is a pretty predominant feature. So that was one of the natural places I hung a camera initially, just cause I thought I was going to get a lot of movement And that property itself is something I didn't know anything about going into this year. So I had a lot to learn. Um, so I mm-hmm. had more of a shotgun approach on that property this year, just to try to get a sense of how deer are using, using the property. Um, so I do have some shifting to do only because there are a lot of, uh, white oaks on that property that are dropping acorns that I noticed, um, the last time, not the last time I was there, but this winter when I scouted, I could see all the old, old acorns on the ground. So I kind of know where I need to be, um, yeah. you know, for October lull essentially in this time of year, which is, you know, a place you might want to set up some cameras. Um, I do have one camera set up for lucky and I've, I posted pictures of this guy on Instagram at one point. This is my target deer this year on our big farm. Um, he's not necessarily, uh, going to break any records or anything like that. He's just a real cool deer that I've watched for two years. Um, he's probably, I think he's four and a half. If I aged him right the first year, I got pictures of him. If not, he's three and a half, which in Pennsylvania, if you have a three and a half year old deer, um, that's pretty old for PA, you know, a lot of deer don't make it past two and a half in Pennsylvania. So, um, I have one camera specifically set up for him in a, little pinch point coming off this crick bottom that kind of goes in between his up this hollow between these two ridges um and it's just a natural place where i saw him on the hoof there twice last year and deer funnel through there because on the left hand side um there's a plot we just planted this past weekend that is all uh uh attraction plus or pure attraction plus from uh from whitetail mm-hmm. institute along with uh some of their tall time tubers and so it's kind of a fall and late season plot um and then if you go further up that hollow on the right hand side is where the big clover plot is. So it's where the deer are bedding on the neighbor's property on that creek bottom. They're using that hollow or the one one ridge over to get up to the fields. Um, and I've had sightings, you know, in, in tree stands in, in that location specifically. So I hung a, hung a camera there in that pinch point specifically to try to see him because um, my plan is to try to get on him early this year because he usually is visible in October. Then he kind of goes nocturnal. Um, after that, and it's hard to get a look at him until late season, whenever he's really trying to hit, hit the food sources, you know, trying to reload after, after rut. So that's kind of my, my preparation for, um, for the properties itself. But, you know, talk to me a little bit, you know, cause I know that you, you hit the gym and I know every, just about any time we talk in the evenings, you know, after work and stuff, I know you're usually running out the door at some point to get to the gym. So what type of things are you doing? You know, what's your routine look like to get ready physically for a, for a season? You know, are you putting in cardio? Is it, is it weightlifting? Like, what are you trying to, you know, what do you do physically? Um, for me, actually, you know, my workouts don't really change that much throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Um, I hate cardio. 
<laughs> preach <laughs> i hear um, that <laughs> you know i mean I, i'm not a big fan of cardio um i probably do more cardio uh, throughout the season, just natural cardio, you know, mm-hmm. packing in stands and, and hiking to check trail cameras and up and down and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but for me, it's, um, I, to be honest, I'd probably, I don't lift as heavy going into the season or during the season. And the reason for that personally is one, I hate taking the chance of like injuring a shoulder, um, you know, and as a bow hunter, you know, what are you going to do? Um, if you hurt a shoulder, um, or if you pull something at a bicep or whatever. So I typically won't lift as heavy during the season. Um, and other than that, that's probably the only real change, but you know, I have a standard workout that I do and make sure that I hit each muscle group one, you know, one day a week as, um, as hard as I can, as thorough as I can. And, um, and that's it. Uh, right. but as far as the supplement side, um, you know, I've recently started working with wilderness athlete and that's, um, a big reason for that was for a lot of the multivitamins, the probiotics, uh, the greens, um, trying to stay healthier in, in the, the winter and during the hunting season. Cause mm-hmm. as we all know, we don't get as much sleep. We're staying up later, um, getting our gear and stuff ready to go for the next morning hunt. Then we're up early in the morning for a hunt. So like I said, we're not sleeping much and we're outside in the elements for, you know, a longer period of time. Um, so supplement wise, I try to take care of my body internally a lot more during mm-hmm. the season. Yeah. I hear that, man. It's, that I think is one of the most, probably one of the most underrated components of fitness, right? It's like, you know, I know a lot of folks who are workout, you know, workout people or workout hard and, you know, they, they try to eat clean or eat healthy or whatever. Um, but they kind of ignore some of those other things like you mentioned, like probiotic. You know, I was listening to, I think I was listening to Joe Rogan the one day and he, they had on this couple, the, 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 the woman's a doctor and she's also a hunter and her husband is uh, a big time hunter. Um, and they, they met and, you know, she wasn't really into hunting at first, but then she recognized like the clean lifestyle that he was living as far as like he grows his own vegetables, procures his own wild proteins and, um, stuff like that. And she introduced him to like these approaches to, you know, gut health, essentially that a lot of your immune system and your overall health is born in your stomach or in your gut. And, uh, you know, taking probiotics and stuff like that does goes a long way into increasing your immune system and and all those types of things. So I take a similar approach, you know, year round for me, really, you know, for me, it's um, eating clean and and working out and stuff like that has kind of become a lifestyle, I guess. Um, My wife's always really been into it and she's persuaded me over the years. And finally, I might be even more obsessive about it than she is now. Um, You know, my workout routine, like you, essentially doesn't change really much during during the course of the year, you know, it's, I do more lightweight, high rep, um, hit kind of workouts and I do kind of like MMA, like fight training workout. Um, you know, there's a lot of cardio that's kind of built into that. So I don't necessarily run as much as I used to per se that. And I typically, when I run, I hurt myself, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll end up pulling something or, you know, so it's just one of those things that, uh, does, isn't favorable for my body. And, uh, you know, I do, it's, you know, it's usually five or six days a week, um, which is probably a little too much. I've tried to scale it back a little bit just because I've noticed that I've been kind of overtraining and wearing myself out. And, 
um, which hasn't been good. But the big shift for me this year really was um, getting ready to go to on the Montana trip was I just kind of upped the game and started using a weighted vest for some of the stuff um, that oh, yeah. is, uh, you know, the high intensity stuff, just to add some additional weight to get my legs ready for climbing mountains and stuff like that, which I know you can't ever completely get ready for the elevation change and stuff like that, but doing everything that I can do to get ready. So most of my workouts, you know, if it's a cardio workout or a resistance workout, it'll be a 30 pound weighted vest on top of whatever I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I used to run with that, which was, which is why I stopped running. Cause it was just, you know, playing hell on my knees and my ankles and stuff. And uh, supplement wise, you know, oh, the other big thing that I changed was my diet. It's like I went to an all grain, all grain free and all sugar free diet. So it's all, you know, plant and animal proteins pretty much, um, which mm-hmm. has been insane. And it it damn near killed me the first probably two weeks. <laughs> so my body was freaking out because it, sure. wanted, it wanted the sugar and the carbs and all that stuff. Um, but after about the third week, it kind of recalibrated itself. And there's a whole science behind that type of eating and training and stuff like that, which is for people much smarter than me to explain. But all I can say is that, <laughs> that the results have been good and, uh, and everything that they said would kind of occur has occurred. So I'm a believer in, uh, in that yeah. approach, but yeah, that's kind of my, uh, my routine. The one part of it though, man, that you and I talked a little bit about the one day, and I think this again, you know, maybe almost as much as like people underrate like the the gut health component of your overall health and well being when you're preparing for hunting season. Everyone kind of goes whole hog into like you know running and training and shooting their bows and stuff like that. But the mental preparation side of it, man, because I mean, there's some hunts out there that are just there's some dog days during the season that you got to kind of be prepared for. You know, do you have like a method sure. of like getting yourself kind of ready to go knowing that you're going to have some days that just you're going to walk out of the timber just going man that sucked and i don't want to go back and do it again tomorrow (laughs) yeah well and i think i think for everybody you know the first hunt of the year you could sit in that tree stand for 12 hours because you're so anxious to get in there and you're so fired up that you're just so happy to be there but you know as the season wears on you get into those days where maybe it's the 15th 16th day you've been in a tree stand and and you have a slow activity day, mm-hmm. it can be kind of brutal. You know, you're, if it wasn't for Facebook and Instagram and angry birds and right. um, candy crush or whatever your poison is, you know, that can help pass the time. I will say that every time I've ever been messing around on my phone, I'll slowly lift my eyes, you know, without moving my head and I'll look up and I'll see a deer. Yep. Um, so I think there's also caution to be used there that be careful being glued to your phone because you're missing what's going on out there in the outdoors and the reason why you're even, you're even there. But I mean, let's face it, it helps pass the time and, and stuff. But from a, from a Western side, and I'm by no means an expert on a Western hunt. I went on my first Western hunt last year and this is going to be my second, but as far as mental preparation, um, you know, if you and I were to get in a tree stand together as whitetail hunters and right before we climbed in the tree, I'm like, screw you, Clint. Screw you, John. Screw you, Clint. Screw you, John. We're going to go sit in a tree stand together. We're probably not going to be talking to each other. One's going to be hunting. One's going to be running a camera. And we sit for three or four hours. We climb down and that's it. Right. Well, you go to your house. I go to my house. But Western style hunting, you're typically hunting 12 to 14 hours a day together. And then you go back to camp and you might even be sharing a tent together 
you know, right. um, but you're definitely going to be sharing dinners. You're in the same camp together. So you're essentially with that person for 24 hours a day. And I can't stress the importance of having, being in good spirits the whole time, even if you have to fake it, you mm-hmm. know, even if the guy you're hunting with is getting on your nerves, you have to almost just keep in that because Western style hunting is very humbling. Uh, when it comes to elk, mule deer, antelope, you know, you go on these stalks and you get so close and man, I think 10 more yards and we're going to have it. And you get into 10 more yards and that animal sees you, smells you, whatever. And he takes off running. Right. Damn. You know, you got to regroup, start from scratch and put a, find another one and put another stalk on another one. So there's these up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's easy to get frustrated and get down. But, um, that to me, that is the most important thing that I have found so far with Western hunting. That's the most important thing on the mental side is just, man, having a good attitude, you know, and, um, don't get down in the dumps. Don't, don't be a party pooper. Don't spoil anybody else's hunt in camp, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I, and I've been through that before last year I went through that and it sucked. Um, Mm -hmm. and from here on out, I told myself like any Western hunt I go on, I'm going to make dang sure that the person I'm going with is like a fun, upbeat person that you can, you can have fun with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than, you know, hunting with someone who, you know, is just complaining, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, you know what I mean? It's it's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has those bad days in the timber, you know, and you mentioned something right there that, you know, about having a positive, positive attitude. And there was not last year, but the year before was the year that it was during the rut. It was kind of hot, you know, and I took my vacation during that time. And, um, it was just, you know, it was 10 days roughly that I was hunting, you know, 10 days straight and it was a grind. And, um, I kind of had like a bad attitude kind of creeping, not going to lie, you know, going to be completely honest. And it was totally like my own attitude with how I was approaching the hunt. Like I was defeated before I walked out the door in the morning. You know what I mean? To where it was exactly, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm getting up at four 30 every morning. I'm going to go sit in this, this new tree stand, you know, whatever, wherever, whatever tree I was going to climb that day. And I'm just sure. thinking to myself as I'm walking out, like, and I'm not going to see, I'm not going to see squat. You know, I was just kind of giving in yeah. to the fact that, and it's part of it's just having a positive attitude. So because, you know, it's that old Henry Ford quote, right? Whether you think you're, you're going to succeed or you're going to fail, you're correct. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yes. So uh-huh. I was I was walking out kind of um, having a predetermined fate for the day because I wasn't going to hunt my best that day because I'd already kind of thrown in the towel, which it was partway through the week that I recognized that I was doing that. And I was just like, man, I'm kind of, you know, I'm ruining this week for myself. You know, it's not it, everyone's dealing with the same set of circumstances, you know, and, uh, and that and I was like, I'm putting too much pressure on myself to, that I have to try to get something done. I was like, it's just, I should just go out and enjoy the fact that I don't have to be at work that I'm sitting in a tree stand. I'm in the outdoors and just enjoy the sounds and the smells and, and let that be enough, you know? And if, yeah. uh, if I, you know, I'm unfortunate enough to release an arrow, then, then awesome. But, you know, just kind of remember, you know, remember why you're there as far as, you know, mental preparation, you know, I definitely, this, this elk trip is one of those things where it's like, I've already kind of told myself, like there's going to be days where it's just going to be brutal. You know, it's like, I have a couple of buddies that I'm going with and one of the guys lives in Montana and he's been out scouting and, you know, hiking. And he sent me pictures of, of some, uh, some elk and mountain lions and grizzly that he has on camera and stuff like that at this point. Um, mm-hmm. 
And that dude is just, he's number one, he's just in diesel shape as it is. Like he's just a guy who's in the gym a lot and he's just, you know, a really well put together dude. Um, and then he lives in Montana. So he's in the mountains and stuff like that. So he's just going to dust me, you know what I mean? So it's like, I got to kind of know that going in that, like, I may not be able to hang with him on the uh, physical level necessarily. It's just by you know uh-huh. nature that he lives there. Um, but I have to be mentally prepared to know that I'm going to have to grind through some tough days because there's going to be some hard hikes. There's going to be some long days. There's going to be some walk backs, walks back to camp in the dark. You know, we might have to walk however many miles it is after we put a stock on or whatever. And it's the end of the day and last light and we're however far away from camp. Um, Mm -hmm. so I've already kind of reconciled that with myself, but you know, when you, I wanted to ask you, cause I don't know that I, that I know this, you were talking about going in, you know, into, into a set or whatever, into, into your, your stands. Are you mentioning how, you know, when you're hunting whitetail, you get in a stand with, if you're with a dude, it's filming and you don't have to talk for the next couple hours. Are you an all day sit kind of guy or do you break your day up mornings and evenings? Yeah, I, um, I used to be, um, I used to be an all day sit kind of a guy, yeah. you know, I was very much, uh, like a lot of guys, you can't kill them from the couch, right. you know? Um, and I quickly changed from that. And it's not that I don't have the mental or physical stamina to, you know, sit in a lone wolf all day long. Um, I just think that you can do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um, sneak in, go in on your, on your key times, Um, and you know, and and on the flip side of that, there is some mental benefits of that. You know, you don't have those long hours where you're not seeing anything because let's face it. I mean, if it's starting to become not fun anymore, who wants to do it? So, um, you know, early season, I hunt more evenings, um, rut, I hunt more mornings, you know, when it gets cold, that's when I'll start hunting more mornings. Um, but I keep the sets, um, and even the evening sits, like I know I, if I'm, you know, if, if I'm in the right setup, I'm probably not going to see a lot of activity until that last 30 minutes of daylight. Right. So why, why go walk in and climb in the tree at noon if mm-hmm. I'm not going to see anything for six or seven hours? Right. Um, so based on my, you know, central time zone, but that's, that's kind of my thing, man. Um, you know, you obviously don't want to go in too late and bump deer. Right. Um, but there's no, there's just no need to sit in uh, low percentage times. Right. Now rut, that is, that is a time of year that I'll, I'll put some longer hours in because mm-hmm. you just never, you, you never know. They, because they are moving so much more during midday and uh, stuff like that. And, and they're doing, they're doing crazy stuff, you know, that they normally, it's like, wait a second, you're not supposed to be doing that. Why are you doing that? You <laughs> right. know, but, um, and that's kind of that's that's always been my strategy, right? Yeah, for me, I definitely used to be more of a, you know, a morning and, and evening evening guy. I still follow the rule of you know early season. I'm an evening guy. Um, I will mm-hmm. go in on the on the early side because I want to get in definitely before they before they start moving. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. I definitely will go in a little earlier than than some, I guess. Um, not going in in the morning, but you know, I might go in, you know sometime sometime between like 12 and 2 might be a good time that I'll decide sure. to make my way to a tree stand um yeah but once to your point once it hits rut it's I'm in the tree stand basically once it hits you know halloween i guess is a good barometer or a good a good time stamp once uh-huh. it hits halloween i'm in the tree from you know dark to dark pretty much 
yeah. part of that too yeah. is, is just because I get limited hunting time. Um, so I have to kind of, you know, make hay while the sun shine into a degree. The late season. Oh, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. So there's the, yeah. So that's a factor there where it's like, for me, there's a drive usually to where I'm hunting to a degree, whether I'm going back to our farm or even if I'm hunting public land around where I, where I live, where my mm-hmm. home is, um, it's still, you know, a 45 minute drive or, or more or better. If I'm going back to the family farm, it's a three hour drive. Um, so I try to maximize my time while I'm there. The late season is where I have a hard time, right? Because I've hunted some mornings in late season where it's been good. Um, and I mean, obviously evenings are good in, in late season. You kind of go back to that bed to food kind of pattern again, you know, like you do during early season. Yeah. It's it's very similar. Correct. Correct. Um, but I have had stuff where I've had, I've had action, you know, late morning where, cause I mean, as you know, it's like deer are feeding five times a day. And if, if once hunting season dies down and there's decent bedding off, off a field edge, there's one field edge on our farm where it's, it has historical, like it has been historically a buck bed it sits off this point, this cliff that goes down over the other side. Um, so I've have had action coming out of that bedding area midday only because it's so close to the food. I mean, we're talking 30 yards off the food source. Sure. Um, and if, if, if I, I could count probably 10 times that I know of that someone has jumped the biggest deer on the farm out of that particular bedding area, just because it's an area that is near where you use to access most things. Cause this farm also has very difficult access. So it's usually someone jumps something out of there. Um, but I'm always kind of torn because I, because of just that location alone. And it's also near that pinch point that I was talking about where I have that camera hung for, for lucky. So I've spent some time in there and I've seen things that have told me that I should be in the woods a little earlier, but I still kind of hold to that, that evening time frame for, for late season. What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, just as you were saying that I was kind of, if you could have seen my head, I was kind of nodding, nodding my head in a, in agreeance. Um, I think late season for me here in Iowa, um, with all of the extra ag fields and, and stuff like that, um, I see more activity in the evenings than I do in the mornings. Um, obviously there is those particular areas where, you know, you have a late, uh, a late season, um, or a food source that was picked sloppy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the farmer, uh, had a combine that is ready for the graveyard. He just hasn't buried it yet. So right. he has a lot of spillage, you know, whenever he did his combining, he, he spilled, you know, shells everywhere or what I call scatter. It's like scatter crops, but, right. um, I, but like I said, generally, uh, it seems like the deer go back to those early season patterns again, and they start coming into those plots later in the evening, especially right. some of the bigger bucks. Right. It's interesting. I think I want to. I think it was Dan Bayes when I had him on the show. We were talking, and he actually, even during rut, he doesn't go into after first light. If I'm not mistaken, I'm hoping I'm not misquoting him from from that show. But it was interesting because he uh-huh. said. He was kind of like, I have, it's, you have such a hard time beating a buck back to bed, you know, number one, he was like, and you're, and you're kind of traveling, even if you're coming in at, you know, you're getting your stand, you know, let's say, you know, what first light might be what, 6am after, you know, late October, getting into early November, like six, uh-huh. six thirty maybe ish, six thirty probably is a better time frame. Um, even if you're headed back, headed to your stand at four thirty to get there between five and five thirty or whatever, like you're still traveling about the same time the deer are leaving the food, the food sources and heading back to their beds because they yep. want to be back before dark or before sunup. 
So he was like, you know, he, he just said he rarely gets an opportunity that's that, that early in the morning during that time of the year. So he usually goes in after he knows they've been, they're well into to, to their beds. So let's say like eight o'clock and gets to his stand. That way mm-hmm. he knows anything, everything's bedded. It's not moving at that point. So he has less of a chance to bump in any deer, gets up in his stand, and then he's kind of set up to catch those midday walkers. Yeah. And I, I, well, kinda, and I was going to say, I kind of like that approach. I've wanted to try it only because, I mean, you know, let's be honest here. It's like if I can get an extra three hours of sleep, I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and, you know, and there's a, there, there is a very, very uh, good school of thought that, that is in that. And, and I know some guys that, that also practice that as well. Um, you know, a lot of times when we talk about our hunting schedules, it's easier to say the last week of October or the first week of November. And, and then when it gets to be mid December and late December and early January, this is when I do that. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. That's the easy way to describe it. Um, none of that matters to me as much as the temperature. Right. If it could be, it could be middle of October, and if we have a 20, 25-degree temperature drop coming up, you can bet your ass I'm going to be in the tree and I'm probably going to sit all day right. the day before that temperature drop or that, that day as the temperature is dropping. So right. um, it's just on a, on a normal year or on an average year, um, you know, the last week of October and the first and second week of November is when you start getting in the cooler things. And theoretically in the Midwest, that's when the rut kind of is coming in and whatnot. But, um, you can throw all of that out the window. I literally hunt based on temperature and barometric pressure. Um, that's, and that's what I've switched over to the last couple of years and, and and it's been beneficial. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I definitely pay attention to the, to the temperature. I haven't gotten as keyed into the barometric pressure yet. And part of that might just be due to, you know, the fact that, like I'd mentioned, I have limited days off that I can go hunt. And so when I take time, it's like, I gotta be, gotta be in the timber. Now I definitely, I'll look at weekends and see what weekends are going to be good weather weekends. If I'm going to make the drive back to the farm or not, that definitely kind of dictates, you know, if it's going to be super cold, you know, that I'm definitely going to get in the truck and make a move. Um, if the weather's just going to be okay, but nothing great, it's like I might stick around my house and just hunt some public land, you know, near me, um, you know, just so I can kind of get out into the timber. But I think one thing that you mentioned when you say, you know, like you have your general plan, you know, your general strategy, it's like I hunt evenings in early season, you know, I hunt, I'll do more longer all day sits when rut hits, that way I can catch those midday walkers and whenever it transitions back to the late season and the bed to food, uh, becomes the pattern again. Then I'm back on the evening hunts again. And you mentioned, you know, weather, of course, kind of being the thing that's going to dictate where it's like, if there's a big temp drop, you're going to be in that tree. I think the big thing for me too, was as I've gotten smarter about things is I start letting my Intel and my cameras tell me when I should be hunting, um, versus, mm-hmm. you know, going to hunt. And I know you definitely practice this too. Um, Mm-hmm. That way I'm not burning sets or burning days off for, you know, a deer that I can't kill, you know. So, you know, a good example yep. of that for this year is like I, Lucky's kind of my prime guy on the farm this year. And, um, you know, I'm doing a camera pool, 
you know, or I'll have, as when people, folks are listening to this, I'll have done a camera pull over the holiday weekend here that's coming up at the beginning of September. And I'll, uh, I'll let that camera tell me whether or not I'm going to be hunting, you know, him whenever I get back from, um, from Montana and at the end of uh, September, you know, I'll, that'll kind of tell me if he starts to show up and he's on a food to bed pattern using that pinch point, then I know I have a good chance that I should be out there the for the opening weekend. So long as the weather's a good weekend to hunt that opening Saturday. Um, otherwise I won't waste the time going after him cause he's not showing me that he's, that he's, you know, ripe for the picking yet. Um, and to me, that's been a kind of a, you know, a change for me over the past several years is just making sure that I'm reading that, that intelligence right and using it to the best of my ability to, you know, optimize my hunts, not burn days off and don't hunt ghosts, hunt deer that can be killed. Sure. And I mean, it's, um, you know, a lot of guys, they'll go back and forth. They'll say, I don't need those trail cameras. You know, guys were killing big bucks, you know, back in the day without them. And sure. I mean, but if the tool is available to you, why not use it to your advantage and, and, and help you out a little bit? Um, trail cameras have changed the way that I hunt, just like what you just said. It tells you what's there and what's not there with one small caveat, you know, to that. Mm-hmm. And that is, I'm a firm believer that for every five bucks that you get on trail camera, there is two to three that have avoided your trail cameras. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, and so, you know, and, and it's what, what do you do to try to get them? You know, do you, is it in the wrong position? And, you know, if I have a camera facing one direction, who's to say that that giant buck didn't just walk behind the camera, you right. know? Um, so it is what it is, but, uh, I can tell you that having that trail camera out there, it did get me a picture of that one buck or those two bucks. And if I didn't have trail cameras, I would have had pictures of no bucks. So, right, exactly. Well, I know, it's a tool. You, yeah, I think you make a good point. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's not the entire puzzle. You know, it's that you got to yep. continue to rely on your woodsmanship. You know, it's, you know, I know I keep mentioning, you know, hunting lucky, but it's like I've had, you know, two years of trail camera pictures and hopefully another year this year, of course, you know, of, of, of him in the early season. And I have two on the hoof sightings of him. So it's like I've, I've hunted him you know, on and off, not, I won't say I've hunted him hard, but I've hunted him on the periphery, if you will, uh, for a year, essentially last year is whenever I was really kind of looking for him because I knew he was around. Um, and I had uh-huh. some on the, had some on the hoof sightings and I kind of figured it out, pieced together where I thought he was traveling, where I thought he was betting from seeing, okay, this is the trail camera pictures that I'm seeing. These are the times that I'm getting them backing out. Well, how long would it take him to get to this food source? If he was betting here, starting to figure out, you know, as I was piecing the puzzle pieces together where I thought he was betting. And then that's why I kind of went into where I went into for late season last year. And lo and behold, I saw him twice. Um, you right. know, so it was, I had to kind of do the the mental math, if you will, to figure it out. It wasn't like the trail cameras delivered the deer. Now, the little, the tidbit that I have this year is my father-in-law was actually glass in that field this week. And he was calling me, he was, he was saying, oh, there's no deer in this field. He's like, I haven't seen any deer in this field all year or all summer. And then just about that time he dropped the phone because two nice Pennsylvania bucks walked out and I asked him where he came from. <laughs> And, uh, well, actually I, I said, I'm going to tell you where they've come from. And I gave him a description of how they entered the field. And he's like, yeah. And, uh, and I was like, all right. And he's like, well, what? And I was like, nothing. And he was like, well, where do you think they're, I was like, I'm not telling you. 
<laughs> so I was going to say, yeah. Uh, and I and I'm thinking he was on the other line going, I'll just agree with him because that's not where they came from. But I'm going to keep that a secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're playing a little cat and mouse. But he described the the one that came out. The one made him go whoa, which uh, you know, which which was a good sign for me. Lucky is the biggest deer I've seen on the farm the past probably two years. Um, so I have a uh-huh. feeling that the, one of them was him, uh, the, or the bigger one was him. Um, and I know where he was parked at in the field glassing. I know basically where he saw them at. So I, I have a pretty good feeling that he just saw my my guy. Um, so sure. yeah, I'm hoping if he did, then that means he should be on that camera when I go back to pull it because that's how he would have had to get there. So we'll uh, right. Time will tell, man. But uh, so speaking of you know getting after these deer, do you have any? Are you are you targeting any specific buck this year, or do you have? Is there any? Do you have kind of a guy that you've got circled, or do you have you kind of narrowed it down yet, or 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 not? Yeah, yeah. So uh, last year there was a there was a buck that I was after. Um, I call him the fire buck, and just imagine a deer that has antlers and it looks like a bunch of flames, curved curved kickers and stickers and flyers, and um, coming off of his his antlers and he just it looks like a campfire uh so we called him the campfire buck and i probably have 400 trail camera pictures of him on uh on five different cameras you sent me a picture of him right yes yep he was a freak um he's a buck that i never saw on the hoof um he went hard horned and he hung around for about a week and then he just poof like a fart in a whirlwind you know Mm -hmm. he was just gone um it's such a small area that if he was killed legally, I would have known about it. Um, there always is that chance that he was poached, but, um, I think he's still alive and would put him at a, uh, estimated seven year old this year. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. so he's a deer that I'm definitely, uh, I should say six to seven this right. year. Um, he's a deer that I'll definitely be trying to, to track down. I don't have any pictures of him yet this year. Um, let's see. I have a buck on my personal property that I call Dalton, um, Mm. making my reference to my movie roadhouse. Nice. (laughs) But, uh, there's a buck called Dalton that, uh, hold on one second. We may have to do a little edit here. Yeah. Close an office door. Um, so there's a buck named Dalton that, um, last year he showed up on October 28th, 29th and then vanished and then he showed back up november um 10th 11th and 12th and then vanished again and he's probably he's a mainframe 10 with with some kickers and stickers and uh, a fork g2 and a fork g3 um i think he'll go somewhere in the low 70s wow um that's what he would have gone last year um, at least upper sixties, I'll right. put it that way, at least upper sixties. So, you know, people talk about these big deer doing, doing the same thing year to year to year. So I can guarantee you, um, I can guarantee you that I'll have certain dates that I will definitely be hunting that deer on my personal property, uh, in the same locations that he was hanging out last year. Um, there is a new deer that I haven't named yet this year. He just showed up on trail camera. I sent you a picture of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually hitting one of my mock scrapes. And um, 
he's definitely a shooter buck that I would love to connect with. But uh, that's, you know, and last year I had several three and four year olds that I have a ton of trail camera pictures on that I got all, all my data came from during what I call scrape season. Right. Um, never saw them on the hoof. Uh, it was all nighttime scrape activity and they were all deer that were great deer to keep tabs on. None of them were deer that I would have shot last year. Um, there's probably nine of them that were in the 140 to 150 range that, um, if I can connect with one of those this year, that would be super cool. Um, like I said, man, I, I use the trail cameras. Um, me personally, I use my trail cameras more for to tell me what the deer are doing in that particular time. You know, is it scrape season? When are they hitting scrapes? When are they coming to food plots? Uh, when are they hitting a water hole? Um, I use it more for that than, than anything else. Um, I'm a firm believer that you don't have to have a trail camera picture of a deer to be in the tree stand and see that deer, you know, on the hoof right. and have a chance to kill him. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, I don't, I mean, Lucky's really the only guy that I'm targeting this year as far as PA goes. There's a really nice one on my dad's property that I have uh, some video of. Um, I've not named him or anything yet. Uh, and I'm on the fence as to whether or not I'll even hunt him because it's, it's one of those things where he's 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 following he's following the script. He's following a fence line that leads out to a, an apple tree essentially. And mm-hmm. I think I know where he's betting just based on like the little bit of information I have on the property. Um, just based on the times that he's coming through and cause he's coming through during daylight, uh, well before last light. Um, so I'm on the fence as to whether or not I want to hunt him. I'm hoping that I have pictures of, of Lucky telling me that he's around and going to give me an opportunity because that's the deer I'd like to kind of really go after and I'd like to let the one on my dad's property kind of go for a year because um, he's got sure. some, he's got some promise. He's a young deer too. I want to say. I mean, he maybe he's two and a half and he's he's pretty nice as it is for for PA by PA standards. Um, and I'd uh-huh. like to see what he got. You know what he has going on with a with another year on him. But there's no guarantee that he'd make it through. But you know, I would like to say that I would let him uh, let him pass. So we'll see. The one thing that I, you know, wanted to try to dive into too is, you know, every season it seems like I pick something up. You know what I mean? I, I learned something from either being in the, in the timber or talking to other hunters or whatever the case might be. So I'm just curious if there's anything that happened to you last year, you know, whether it's a hunt or someone that you met or something like that, that you've picked up that you want to try this year? Is there any kind of new, I guess, you know, we could just call this new tactics or anything that you've learned from last year that you're going to apply this Mm -hmm. year. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, we've talked about it. Um, it's, or it's come up, you know, in different podcast conversations and intros with other guests that last year was my first year in Iowa coming from Kentucky. And, um, yes, they are both white tailed deer. Yes, there is trees um, to hunt said deer in. Right. The style of hunting and the deer movement are totally different. Right. Um, Kentucky, where I hunted, was a lot more big woods hunting, um, a lot more in the timber hunting where, you know, where I'm at in Iowa, it's a lot more field edge hunting. 
uh, food sources and food plots and and things like that. And sure, you can catch the deer in the timber, uh, in their beds, and you can sneak into their beds and, and stuff like that. But um, me personally, my preferred tactic is choose wisely. You know, when you're going to make your stabs uh, in there, um, be methodical, be quick about it, be fast, be quiet, uh, be scent free, sneak in and, and, and you can get aggressive, sneak in and, and try. If you are unsuccessful, back out and maybe stay out for a little bit, you know, and then wait till the conditions are right and then take another stab in it. But um, last year, I stayed on the field edges entirely too long. Right. Um, and it was a big learning curve for me to start. One, they were all, every property I hunted last year here was a new property for me. Um, but even that being said, there was new tactics that I had to learn and man, I, I, you know, I came here thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm a big whitetail hunter. Like every targeted buck I've wanted in the, in Kentucky, the last three, four years I've connected on him. I've killed, you know, I killed my target buck and, um, it's not that I was cocky about it. I was just like, I think I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to figure this out. And then I come here and <laughs> the combine fires up and he takes away the food plots and then the deer go hard horn and everything just flip the script man it all turned upside down on me and and i was like a dog chasing his tail the rest of the season and and it was frustrating <laughs> because i felt like i'm like i i don't even know how to hunt man i was right. like this is ridiculous and um but i was able to talk with a couple you know local hunters here uh one being sam calora talking about a wealth of information you know mm -hmm. he's forgotten more about deer hunting than i may you know ever know but right um i remember sitting down with sam one day and i said i want to be like your protege and he's like, John, I've been hunting a long time. And I said, well, <laughs> you're not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. Like we better get started right now. So, <laughs> right. um, he, you know, he gave me, uh, he gave me a few suggestions and he gave me a few, you know, a few pointers as to what I was seeing going on out there. And he made some suggestions on how I should be hunting some of these properties. And, um, so that helped out, a, that helped out a bunch. It really did. But, um, late season muzzleloader, you know, I sat out during our shotgun season we have one shotgun season and there's a couple of days that nobody can hunt. And then there's a second shotgun season. And then when it ends, um, then we have a, a late archery slash late muzzleload season that comes in and weather conditions were right. And I said, you know what, screw this. Um, I'm making my move. And I moved my tree stand from a field edge to 50 yards inside the timber and unbeknownst to me, that was the friggin' interstate. Nice. Just deer activity from beginning of the day to the end of the day, nonstop. And they were moving 50, 60 yards away from me, and I never knew it. Hmm. Um, and like I said, that's when I kind of started putting together more puzzle pieces. And I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily need to be on this field edge because that's where the does are. I need to be 50, 60 yards inside where the bucks were were scent checking a lot of those fields. So, right. um, it, like I said, you know, these are all common practices and common techniques that we've all heard. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe he didn't know that. Well, if you're in a spot and you're seeing a lot of deer activity and you've seen a lot of scrape activity and, and whatnot, I just wasn't connecting on the deer that I was trying to see. I mean, I was seeing bucks. I just wasn't seeing the bucks I wanted to see. So, um, that's my biggest thing that I learned last year is just learning how these deer transition through the timber from point to point, uh, 
um, very seldom do they cut across a big open field. Right. That was very rare, you know, rare. Um, hmm. In Kentucky, I would have never in a million years thought that I need to spend my time on a field edge. Right. It was get as deep into the timber as you can. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the big things that, you know, folks who, I think that stuff starts to come to light when you start hunting different places, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. those, you know, if if you hunt your family farm all the time or the, your your home state all the time or whatever whatever the case is, um, you know, you kind of get set in your ways, you know, definitely. Then um, you think, you know, you have one frame of reference, and it, for me, it's like what's always kind of fun and interesting is going to different places and seeing how <clears throat> how things kind of unfold in other places and how to hunt a new a new scenario. That's interesting, you know, um, that you went from big woods to Iowa where the hunting was just that different because you wouldn't think, you know, just like you thought. It's like how much different could it be? You know what I mean? It's, And then I take it and I think about guys who are, you know, like a Dan Enfold or someone like that who's hunting like a lot of swamps and marshes and stuff like that. It's like I, you put me out in a marsh or a swamp and I wouldn't know other than what I've learned from listening to Dan Enfold, I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's just – something that's completely foreign to me. It's like my, my first move would just be find dry ground. Like that would be like it. That would be my goal. Find somewhere that's dry. Um, so so that's interesting. But for me this year, um, there's two specific tactics that I want to try this year. Um, of course, you know, I do all the practicing, I hunt mobile, you know, it's, you know, lone wolf climber and lone wolf assault. So, you know, I'd like to be able to move whenever I want to move and whenever I have to move, whenever, you know, either the conditions or the deer are telling me that I need to move. Um, scent free, you know, kind of a, a nut about that as well. But the two things that I'm kind of trying this year is one, I picked up from a guy I was listening to, um, and this won't be for Pennsylvania, is that I've always wanted to try rattling, right? And, PA, there's there's so much pressure and there's so many people out there who are, you know, just winging some rattling and some calling and stuff like that, where the deer are pretty hip to what's going on, in, in my opinion, at least. Or the other part of it is, is that the, the buck-to-doe ratio is so uh, skewed that there's no reason for a buck to want to compete for a doe when he can walk around the ridge and find another one. There's no reason for him to potentially injure himself or be killed in a, fighting over a doe. You know, So there's just not that same aggressiveness and response to... Um, uh, to, to calling, at least in my, uh, in my humble opinion and and what I've seen, you know, in my hunting scenarios. Um, when I was in, when I was in Ohio, it was a different story. You know, it's the deer were responding to calling, um, which was, you know, the first time I had experienced that type of response. Um, so for, for me, I wanted to always try rattling, but I'm always hesitant to, because I don't want to rattle incorrectly don't want to rattle too loud when i should rattle softly whatever the case might be and I've, I've listened to a lot of guys talk about it how you know a lot of times when when we do it it doesn't sound natural and you know all these different things right so there's a guy who i was listening to who has this approach where he takes his rattling antlers he ties them together on a piece of paracord relatively close together he runs that string from mm-hmm. his tree stand all the way to the ground with the rattling antlers touching the ground. Because the other thing is, too, is when you're rattling from a tree stand, people don't realize that a deer's you know ability to hear is so good that they can tell if something's elevated or not elevated. If it sounds like there's two deer fighting 30 feet up in a tree, that doesn't sound normal to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they can pinpoint sure. that type of stuff. So what he does is he ties those rattling antlers to a piece of paracord, lowers them down, and then what he'll do is he'll pick them maybe five, six feet up off the ground and then just drop them. 
and that way they're hitting the leaves, also mimicking the sound of deer scuffling through the leaves as they're, as they're sparring and the rattling antlers are cracking together. And now your sound is coming from the right elevation. You're getting the additional sound of what it sounds like, you know, hooves scuffing and deer kind of, you know, rustling through the leaves and the right kind of like cadence or, you know, non-unison type of, of clashing together of the antlers that sounds more natural. And he swears by it that it works you know, like clockwork for him. If he has a buck that's nearby, that's going to respond to a rattle, it, it'll respond to that, that usage. Um, so that I'm going to try this year, which I thought was really interesting. So, um, I'll report back on how that works. The other thing I want to try, and this is actually, a, I was listening to a show that your, your buddy Sam was on, um, talking about his, uh, his, uh, products with Mrs. Mrs. Dopey. Is that what it's called? I'm trying to remember what it's called. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I've always wanted to use a drag rope. Now, I can't use this in PA, so this will be something that I use in, in Ohio. Is you know He uses the, the drag rope, one, to cover his scent when he's going in, and then he uses it also to you know any buck that's kind of crossing his path to get them to hopefully you know, give him a shot opportunity. But the way he uses it is a little bit different um, to where a lot of guys will just kind of soak their rag and then walk in. But the strongest scent is where you started walking not where you ended, you know, you would, so most people don't think about that. And I didn't think about it until I heard him talking about it. And I'm like, well, that makes sense when you want the strongest scent of your estrus dough or whatever scent you're going to use to be near your tree. So you should start putting small amounts on that drag rope as you walk into the timber and every so often add more, add more, add more as you get to your tree. That way as a buck hit crosses that scent and he, if he wants to follow that in the scent that he's picking up is telling him by the, increase of of uh, of scent as he's traveling is telling him that he's getting closer and closer to that doe as opposed to moving the opposite direction of you which was just something that i never thought of until he had mentioned it um and then of course you drag in a, in a direction that kind of crosses your tree at a uh i guess as a, at a parallel to make sure that you're going to provide yourself with the uh, a broadside shot now whether it'll work for me or not i don't know but those are two things this year that i want to uh to give a whirl yeah, and you know, and Sam's, um, that's one of the things that Sam's always told me about the drag rag is, um, you know, just put like two drops on it when you start. And, you know, you don't want to start like at your truck, you know, get about halfway, um, you know, halfway between where you're walking from and your tree stand, and then maybe drop it, you know, 150 yards out, 200 yards out or something. And, um, you know, every every 50 feet, put another drop or two on there. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm saying, I'm not, so, I don't mean feet. I mean, yards. Right. Um, and then you go another 50 yards, put two more drops on it and then actually go past your tree stand. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has a kind of a method that he uses. That he likes, it works really well for him and to make kind of a little J hook and you don't want to make it too severe. Uh, you don't want to have like a right angle. Cause if you do, um, you know, the buck can actually be, he can have nose to the ground, follow, 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 follow. And he doesn't pick up that hard right-hand turn and he runs past it. And the reason for the J hook is a long sweeping J hook, because what that does is it turns the deer around and turns him broadside. Right. And you can also turn the deer around to where he's quartered away. Right. Yeah. Um, The way his head's away from you, I mean, it would be an optimal situation that way you have an opportunity to draw. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So, um, he's got a whole strategy and, uh, it works very, very well for him. Um, 
it, and it's something I'm going to, I'm going to try his, I'm going to try the J hook, uh, this year, you know, I've been using his, uh, his landmines, uh, starting some, some mock scrapes right now. And, um, you know, that, that one buck that I sent you a picture of, that's, uh, that's the first and only picture I've had. I've got another trail camera 40 yards away and never got a picture of him all season. Hmm. 12 hours after the mock scrape, I got a picture of him. So, nice. um, you know, I don't know where he's been, uh, if he was new to the area or if the mock scrape is what drew him out of the woodwork, so to speak, but he came right to the mock scrape and got his picture taken. Nice. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to trying it. It's something I've always wanted to try. And whenever I heard his tips, it really kind of makes sense. And that, and I'm really, what do you think of the, uh, the rattling nailer thing. Like that was another one that I just, I was like, that's such an easy solution or a simple solution to kind of make it more realistic that I have to try it and see if it works. No. And, um, that's another good one because, you know, I've heard a lot of people that have given their opinions on, on rattling and, and sure people have rattled in bucks, uh, for years and especially if you're in Texas and it works fine, but there's a lot of guys, man, they really, um, the guys that hunt on the ground, um, they're really, really effective. You know, they, they take their antlers, they rattle them, they, they pound them on the dirt, you know, mm-hmm. um, they rustle up some leaves, maybe throw a grunt in there with it. And I think that's the idea is, um, you're just creating the whole scenery. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, make it, make it as realistic as you possibly can. Now, obviously <laughs> I think you can go overboard and, you know, orchestrate too much, you know, brrr, Right. You know right. what I mean? Right. <laughs> it sounds like there's making a whole all kinds of, you know, noises, but <laughs> right. you, know, you could go a little overboard, but you know, right. throw a, maybe throw a snort wheeze in there, which is real aggressive, but right. maybe throw a soft grunt in there. Um, rustle up some leaves, rattle some antlers, um, and then call it good. Right. Um, my thing on rattling antlers is always start soft and then go loud. Some right. people say, heck no, man, you got to wake the woods up. What if there's a buck <laughs> 70 yards away from you and you just haven't seen him yet and he's behind cover and all of a sudden, wham, you crash those jokers together and he's like, oh boy. Right. You know, um, just I don't real. smell a deer. I should have seen a deer by now. And now there's all of a sudden there's two deer there going at it crazy. Um, you know, to me that can be detrimental to your, to your plan. But yeah, I think, I think the thing with calling in general is just, <clears throat> is making sure that you're uh, timing it correctly and then also using it judiciously, you know, not, not doing, going overboard, you know, you know, I know a lot of folks, especially a guy like Steve Bartilla, he talks a lot about, you know, calling whenever you can see the deer. And I know a lot of people, pers- you know, kind of prescribe to this kind of approach is wanting to be able to read mm-hmm. the deer's body language first, you know, Correct. before they call yep. to understand what type of response they may get. Um, you know, um, you know, I think that I would love to be, I'm not going to kid myself and think that I'm a, you know, deer behavioral, um, you know, analyst by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I would just kind of follow that same rule of thumb that you mentioned, which is just kind of keeping things, um, non-obtrusive, if you will, and, and, and allowing the mm-hmm. woods to kind of come to me rather than trying to go to the woods with, with the calling, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, well, you know, every deer is different. I mean, you're a music guy. So if I play some Kenny G, you're probably not going to tap your foot and, and, you know, break into a jig. Dude, I'm all if over. I play I'm, some good I'm rock. Gonna, and, gonna, if I'm I play gonna, some rock and roll, right. 
you might start headbanging a little bit. So everybody has a different sound that's going to, you know, spark more of an interest out of them. And, and I think the deer are no different. Every deer's personality is different and they're going to react differently. If a buck just got his butt whooped and he hears a buck snort wheeze, he's probably like, you know what? I'm just going to tuck tail and I'm going to slip on out of here. You know, right. not all big mature racked deer are the dominant deer. Right. And just because he's seven years old doesn't mean he's, he's the big dog of that property. He can get his butt whooped by a three-year-old that might just be super aggressive and just a total, you know, jerk. But, um, timing is everything. But the other thing I think people would need to consider too is, and i probably would be guilty of this myself. If the very first time I went into the woods, if I rattled antlers and I had a buck come in and it was a shooter buck and I was able to shoot him, what do you think I'm going to do every single time I go into the timber? Rattle some antlers. I'm going to rattle antlers. You know what I'm yep. saying? So guys that a lot of times are like, man, I rattle all the time and it, it works for me. Well, chances are it probably worked for them the first time they did it. And now they just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Or, uh, and that's dude, that's no different for a hunting product. Mm-hmm. or a certain another a totally different tactic you know maybe it was slipping in in the morning or slipping in midday if it works for you you're going to keep doing it i think the key thing is is to find out why it worked and how you can duplicate it right yeah i mean i think not just duplicating it but also the other thing i think that you mentioned which is kind of important which it is you know when you when you find something that works one time um, it's kind of like the, the, the saying with a stand. It's like your favorite stand should be the next stand you sit in, not that stand that you killed a deer out of last year. Um, cause sure. people kind of get into that rut of kind of trying to go back to what they know has worked for them in the past. And it might not necessarily always be what's going to work for them again in the future. Um, whether it's a stand mm-hmm. location, mm-hmm. whether it's a calling sequence or a call that they're using or whatever, a product that they've used, whatever the case might be. Um, I think yeah. the important part is, is just be open enough to understand that every scenario is a little bit different and you have to assess each for what it is and make your game plan based on, based on that information rather than past, uh, you know, past outcomes, I guess is a, is the way to put it. Yeah. But I want to, I want to pause yeah, for a it, second it, and just admire yeah. Kenny G's mullet. Can we just admire that for a minute? Cause that dude <laughs> had the sweetest Kentucky waterfall that I think I've ever seen in my he life. Does. No, no yeah. offense to any of those folks out there listening to listening from Kentucky. That's just always what I like yeah, to call. Me. Yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but th- th- how about that Kentucky I had a waterfall? Growing up, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, I, had, did too. I had a permed mullet. Actually. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, yeah, I had a perm mullet. You I know, don't, I don't even know what to say now. Like, dude, I, I rocked it. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, man, it was the thing I was racing dirt bikes and, you know, you put your helmet on. I had that perm mullet hanging out the back flowing, you know, those flowing locks out the, the back. I was hitting those doubles and whoop de doos Oh yeah. Oh man. The, the mulligan perm. I mean, I had a mullet too, oh, yeah. but I had the classic like white walls, like the Brian Bosworth like shaved side of the head with some racing stripes, you know. Oh yeah, full mullet. I did rock a rat tail for a little while too. I definitely had the rat tail phase um, when I was a kid. Straight up, like textbook state fair. Oh yeah, dude. Right there. Yeah, dude. That was. I mean, that was it, dude. That's where it's where I grew up, man. It's <laughs> like that's how that's how it is. Like you couldn't be any cooler with a, without a rat tail. You know, it just had to. Just Did had you to ever happen. have the 
the little um, alligator clip that had the feather attached to it. Do you ever clip that on the back? Oh or yeah, anything? I had one of those. You get those at the county fair. Those every uh-huh. every summer That's the right. fair come through town. You pick one of those up. You know, it was kind of yeah, like there's the, a reason why I know exactly what those things are because yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> oh man. All right, so we got off topic here with the Kenny G mullet. So two more things yep. I think we need to cover. One, we went this whole time and we've not talked about like the big thing that we're both doing, which is talking about the different places we're hunting this year. Um, mm-hmm. So give give me and the listeners a little taste of what you're doing this year as far as like the states you're going to hunt, the different farms or the properties you're going to hunt, and just like you know an overview of what those setups might look like. Um, so right off the bat, I'll be heading to the Broadus, um, Alzada area of, um, Eastern Montana. Uh, that's where I went last year. There's a ton, a ton of BLM ground out there. Um, uh, state land, public land. Um, and there's a lot of really good hunting out there. Um, Montana antelopes, um, you know, it's not like Wyoming, but uh, there's not as many, but there's still a ton in that area and had a lot of fun there last year. So I'm going back out there again. Um, I start that. um, Now we're looking at like 32 hours from now I'll be leaving. Um, That's going to be one day drive out four days of hunting and one day drive back. Uh, Let's see. Next on the hit list is um, Missouri. I'll be in Missouri opening weekend, uh, September 15th, 16th, and weather permitting and wind permitting, um, 17th, maybe 18th. I might uh, get a little aggressive on some early patterned uh, deer over there. Um, My spot in Missouri is only about 35, 40 minutes south of me. Nice. And then um, I would say October 1st and October 2nd, um, Iowa, but... I have a uh, day job work um, conflict. I mm. will actually be out of state doing some work uh, opening weekend here. Um, but, you know, for me, like that first part of October, unless I've got something that's just dead nuts patterned, um, I'm not too concerned about early October. Right. Um, last week of October is when I is when I get real, real serious typically. Mm. But, um, here in Iowa, uh, well, so the Missouri property is, is a private piece, um, that I have permission to hunt. It's not a lease. I just have permission to hunt there for about a month, uh, before some rifle hunters get in there. The Iowa pieces, um, I do have one private piece that I picked up. Um, I have my personal piece uh, that I live on, my personal land here for my landowner's tag. And then uh, the rest is public. Um, I'll be hunting a lot, uh, a whole lot more public here this year than I did last year. Nice. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, me, I'm going to be, you know, I don't know if people heard us talk about this, but I'll be... You know, I'll be in Montana hunting elk in the uh, southwestern portion of Montana. Uh, about the time everyone will be l- listening to this and listening to this or downloading this, I'll be I'll be in the timber. That'll be from September 9th. I guess we're leaving the 9th, I believe. Uh, so through the 23rd, I think I come back. So it'll be about a day and a half drive out um, and about a day yep. and a half drive back. So we're going to drive straight through. There's three of us that are driving from PA, meeting up with a buddy of ours who lives in Montana. Um, mm-hmm. 
going for elk, I have a triple tag <clears throat> or you know combo tag, if you will. So I have a tag yep. for either an elk or a mule deer, and I can also take a whitetail. So obviously not going to be probably uh, seeing any whitetail where we're going to be out hunting elk unless all of us, you know, all four of us happen to tag out early and then maybe we can go hunt some whitetail. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't necessarily plan on that. Looking forward to that hunt. Um, you know, my first elk trip going with a good, uh, a good group of guys. It should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, one of the guys, like I said, lives out there. He's, he killed a huge bull out there last year. You know, he works for the, uh, uh, forestry service, I believe he's a, he's a biologist. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, a buddy of mine. That's what he does for a living. So he spends pretty much most of his days in the timber, and part of his job is to actually. In the past, he's gotten grants to, you know, build elk calving habitat, and then you know spend that grant money and then do the research on it to kind of determine how the elk rec- or the calving recruitment is increasing or not, depend you know pending their their updates and stuff like that. So he's got a pretty good beat on the public land out there. Um, so I'll be hunting with him for two weeks and, uh, three of my other buddies. I'll come back then at that point. And then the following weekend on the 30th of October will be the statewide opening for Pennsylvania. Um, it'll actually open on the Eastern part of the state while I'm in Montana. I think like the 19th, I want to say of September. So that first Uh weekend, it'll really, it'll depend on what kind of card pool I get here, uh, in early September. If I'm getting lucky on the farm with consistency, I might go back and throw, throw a stand at, at him. Um, if I don't see him, then I'm probably going to go hit some either public land that's around me here on the eastern part of the state or a buddy of mine hunt a, sm- a very small parcel um, that is um, uh, maybe five acres that butts up to some uh, public land um, that I've helped put a couple food plots in. And uh, that's a place I like to go just kind of it's an easy 40 minute drive for me. So it's easy for me to get out from home here to go make that hunt. So I don't have to spend a weekend away or whatever from the wife and the the wife and the kid. Um, so going to hunt that, sure. um, that might be my opening season setup because I would like to put a little meat in the freezer and he's got a ton of does that filter through there. Um, and, uh, I have a feeling like I could probably put something in the freezer that weekend if I, if I wanted to. So I might do that. And then, um, I'll be headed to Ohio then. I think it's the 6th through the 13th or the 5th through the 13th or something like that of, of November. Um, I'll be there for like, you know, whatever it is, eight, nine days, something like that. Um, during, you know, rut essentially, um, going out and hunting all public land, big woods in, in Ohio with, uh, with some buddies, um, went out and did a scouting trip this year, saw some deer that we, that was on camera from last year. There's some bona fide studs out there. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that trip. Um, yeah, so that's my plan. I might sneak away depending on how everything goes. So, so for example, if I end up tagging out on lucky in PA here in October. Um, I may go to New York and hunt some late season with a, with a buddy of mine, um, who's killing huge deer up there with a, a couple guys that, well, one of the guys, he actually came on the show, uh, Rick Kiley, double longer. He was on the show, uh, a few shows ago. Um, he's mm-hmm. lives in New York and, uh, might go up and spend a, a long weekend with him getting after some late season whitetail in, in New York. So, that's my sure. plan. That's my plan for that, man. It's, you know, I got a lot of hunting ahead of me, which is, which is good. Um, but it's also, you know, a little bit stressful at the same time. Cause there's a lot of planning and preparation that goes into it to, to get away. And, you know, especially these longer trips and stuff like that, there's a lot of packing and stuff. So, you know, I think, you know, one more thing, you know, we're, we're coming up on a little over an hour here, but 
I think one more thing I want to touch on because I want to get a sense of what our goals are this year. I try to kind of make a goal for myself every year of what I want to try to get done. And it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm measuring the entire year against that. And if I don't achieve it, it's, it's, it's a failure necessarily. Um, I usually try to set two. Um, one is usually like my pie in the sky goal. So it's like, if I could have the season play out exactly how I want it, what does that look like? And then I usually have my more realistic, you know, goal of, you know, I would be tickled if the season ended up like this. Um, so what's your, what's your, you know, end all be all goal. And then what's your realistic kind of a approach or what you think you could get done? Um, I'd like to kill about a 27 inch, uh, antelope in Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I might, um, my, my goal for Montana is, uh, you know, this year I'm going out a lot more prepared than I, than I was last year. Um, you know, I need a vacation. Don't. I mean, I've been working a lot with the day job. I hear that. Um, I'm just looking forward to this hunt going out there. It, it's beautiful country. Um, it's stuff that I don't get to see every day and, um, you know, take some good photos, um, get some cool video footage and just enjoy, enjoy the stocks. Um, this year, my, my main goal is, uh, be more methodical about my stocks that I put on the, on the goats out there. Um, be patient. Um, but, um, don't just, uh, go guns a blazing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, last year it was, you know, we had some bad weather that was coming in. So we were kind of forcing the issue on, on, on a lot of stocks, um, that we probably shouldn't have. They were marginal stocks, you know, at best. Right. Um, so that's, that's the goal for Montana. Um, Missouri, I've never hunted Missouri. Um, so my hmm. thing there is, um, go down there, um, you know, my, my goal is to connect with one of the hit list deer that I, that I've got pictures of and a lot of pictures of and, um, Iowa, you know, it's Iowa. I'm supposed to kill one nineties, right? Everybody right. kills one nineties. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any, anything less than that, you know, just means I'm just not a good hunter. So, um, <laughs> very sarcastically saying that it's, um, no, my, my year in, in Iowa is kind of almost like, you know, Montana, this, this is now the second year that I've been here and, and I've learned a lot more about the whitetails here. Um, I did a lot more prep work this year, uh, expanding my own personal food plots here, uh, putting those two new water holes. So a success for me is just to see more deer activity, um, you know, on the, on the food plot conservation efforts and habitat efforts that I made on my personal property. That, that's right. my goal there for this year. And, um, you know, continue that pursuit for mature whitetails. Right. And win, lose, or draw, as long as I can see more and know that my habitat improvements made a difference, um, then that's a win for me. Right. Yeah. Hear that. I think for me, man, the Montana trip, it's, I'm in a similar, well, I guess a similar boat as you is where it's like, I don't get to see things like that every day. So for me, man, just making that trip out is going to be just super cool. You know, it's I'm the same way uh-huh. as you where it's like, I just been working a lot. I haven't had a vacation in, in a while. Um, so I'm really looking forward to those two weeks. So it'd be nice just to get away. Um, you know, pie in the sky. I'd love to take a stud bull. I mean, there wouldn't be anything better than coming back with just 
a stud, you know, whatever. For me, a stud would be probably a raghorn, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because it's like, it's my first, <laughs> my first elk trip, you know, you know, but my buddy has sent me pictures of stuff that he's seeing glass and, you know, that's in the 350, 360 range and stuff like that. Now, I mean, if that happened, I would be, I don't even know, I'd be over the moon, but you know, that would be kind of like my pie in the sky kind of goal. I think realistically, it's like, I would like just to bring meat home from Montana. Like, so my goal would be, you know, if the week wears on and, and I have an opportunity to take a cow to put meat in the freezer, it's like, I, I, I may do that. Um, you know, but really that trip is about the experience. You know, it's going to just be super rad to be in a different place and hunt a different species that I've never hunted before. Um, in terrain I've never hunted before. Um, you know, so that's really, you know, the, the goal of mine, take some pictures, have a bunch of memories and a bunch of laughs with a bunch of good dudes. And if I get to fling an arrow at something, then man, that's just going to be kind of the topper. Um, Pennsylvania, it's my pie in the sky goal and my realistic goal is kind of the same. It's like, I want to, I want to take lucky this year. I've watched him for two years. I've got a little bit of history with him. Um, so this is the year that I'd like to get it done, uh, get it done on him. Um, you know, ideally I would do it, you know, early October, um, would be, would be nice. Um, but part of me also wants to kind of let it linger cause I wouldn't mind hunting him, uh, in late season. Um, cause also if he makes it to late season this year, I'd have a decision on my hands and that's kind of, I kind of want that cause it's, do I let him go another year? Cause he's clearly made it again. And what could he turn into the next year? So I'd kind of have that dilemma on my hands, whether or not it's like I really wanted to take him or not. I don't know. You know, we'd have to sure. wait and see. Um, I have a feeling I'd have a hard time not releasing an arrow on that deer. Um, but I'd like that to kind of be taken out of my hands and just see him early in the year and, and, and get that done. Um, and then Ohio is, you know, from the trail camera stuff that I've seen from what made it through from last year. We haven't done a pool yet this year. Um there's some studs out there that should be in the one sixties, you know, one seventies ish. Um, you know, so there's some really good deer, uh, where we'll be at. Uh, so that's kind of my, you know, end all be all goal. Really. It's, you know, if I can take something that is as good or better than the deer I, I took last year, it's like, I would like to take something in the one forties. Like that would be, I would be over the moon with something like that. Um, sure. You know, so that would be kind of my, my goal. Cause honestly, it's, I've never killed anything, you know, 140 inches or better. You know, the one I took last year was 130 ish, you know, maybe a little under. Um, mm-hmm. so a 140 for me would be a big, the biggest deer I've ever taken. And uh, I would be more than thrilled with, with, uh, with a deer like that. So those are kind of my, uh, my goals, man. I don't know. Is there, uh, is there anything else we need to add or is that, did we cover it all? Mm, I think that's uh, I think that's about got it. I mean, it gives everybody a little bit of an update as to what we've got going on. And oh, one other thing, uh, one other thing, I was just yeah. remembering. We have to figure out when we're going to do our final camera pull and submit our pictures for the uh, for the contest. Which means November first. November first is that when we're is that when we're is that when we're pulling it. Yeah, I think that'll work. That'll be, uh, we should have some good scrape activity and, okay. um, should have a pretty good, pretty good feel for what we've got in our area. Of course, there, you know, there okay. could always be that new 
uh, rut buck that comes through. But um, yeah, All right. I'd say say November first. Maybe we'll do a bonus round after November first. You know, November first, and then anything that maybe makes it through that could be for the, the for the transient. Yeah, the yeah. largest buck, the largest transient buck that <laughs> that right. visited our property. <laughs> Awesome. So November November first is the cutoff. We'll we'll do our camera pool, and then we'll both select whichever buck we want to submit. Um, we'll you know we'll we'll find someone who's good at scoring from uh, from images. You know, um, if you have a buddy in Iowa who has a good eye for scoring from from trail camera pictures, maybe sure. we'll we'll use uh, we'll use their eyes on that, and then we'll put it up on social media here to. Uh, to see, you know, have let let the folks out there kind of get a get a look and uh, get a vote as to who they think is the uh, is the larger. But we won't tip them off whose is whose. We'll just say here's one buck, here's another buck, A buck, B buck, which is the biggest. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually, I wanted to ask you. So when you go out to Montana, not to you know belabor this, but when you go out and you film this, are you are you doing a, an Arrow Wild show out of this? Is it going to be an Arrow Wild kind of uh, Montana hunt that people can check out? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we're going to, we're going to film a lot of footage. Um, there will, I'm sure there will be an, uh, an arrow wild episode that comes from it. Um, but, uh, but more importantly to me personally, um, is the photography side and the short film side. So I am going to, uh, produce a short film, uh, from this hunt and, um, that's uh that's kind of the main the main the main thing you know and, and there'll be some bonus episodes and pending cell phone service you know i'm gonna try to do some live videos here and there and yeah. um and do some updates through instagram and johnny.utah.hunt if anybody wants to follow along on instagram um i try to stay pretty active with the photos and whatnot on there yeah absolutely man it's, I'm looking, what's that I said, that's the plan. Nice. Well, I think with that, man, I think we can go ahead and, and, and shut her down. So uh, good luck to you and your packing here this evening. I'm going to get on the packing myself, and I think I might actually have to put a bed together right now. <laughs> so you got some place to sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sleeping's good. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. Just want to take a moment to thank all of you for tuning in and giving us part of your day. Um, also want to take a minute to thank all of you again. I mean, the numbers, as far as the downloads of this show, uh, the past several months have gone bananas and that's due to all of you out there who are listening to the podcast. So I'm absolutely humbled by the amount of people who are tuning in and and listening to John and I talk about deer hunting. And, uh, it's, uh, just want to say thank you again, that you choose to spend your time with us when you can spend it in a lot of different ways. Um, with that being said, if you're at, uh, if you're in iTunes or on iTunes and you're enjoying the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star iTunes rating, that would be very much appreciated. And while you're there, be sure to hit the, uh, the subscribe button so you don't miss any of the upcoming guests and episodes. Also, you can follow along with us on the Truth From The Stand Instagram and Facebook pages. You can catch any of my hunts during the course of the year. I'll kind of keep a tab there of what I'm up to. Um, of course, it's uh, cell service permitting, but if I don't have cell service, I'll be sure to catch everyone up whenever I get back into the land of the living, if you will. If you'd like to get involved in the show and have John and I or a guest answer your questions, or if you'd just like to recommend a topic for discussion, email me your suggestions at truthfromthestand@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Or you can click the email button on our Instagram account and leave us a message. And finally, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help make this podcast possible. Whitetail Institute of North America, 
Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.